Amen. Thank you, Miss Beth. Thank you, choir and worship team. Wasn't it a wonderful time of worship? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, everybody. Uh, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, we are in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. And we'll also dive a little bit into chapter 4 with verse 1 today. Um, but if you are a guest with us, again, I welcome you to and I say thank you for being with us. If you have not been with us over the last couple of weeks or a little bit of the time, we've been journeying through the book of Philippians. And we are almost at the tail end of our study through Philippians. We have two more weeks after today. And as I said a few moments ago during the, the transition, we're at this point where today's sermon is called Straining Towards the Goal. And as Debbie read a few moments ago uh, with those two, pieces, those two verses of Scripture that are part of this passage today, there's an end goal in sight, as Paul is writing to the Philippians. That end goal is the prize. That end goal is the, the reward at the end of the race. And, and I'll ask you, some of you in here may, uh, at some time in your life, maybe ran a race. Has anybody in here ever done a race? Some of you have? Okay. Um, there, there, there's a lot of training that comes with that, right? There's a lot of stuff that has to be done. You have to uh, maybe change up your diet. You, you have to go out and continually be practicing and running for those things over and over and over. I, I did a 5K once in my life, and, and I hate running. And I, I just wanted to do it to be able to say that I could do it. And I did it, and I don't know if I'll ever do it again. Uh, but my health coach has been encouraging me, try something new maybe that's out of your comfort zone. I really don't want to run. So, But we'll try something else. But there's a lot of training and stuff involved with a race and, and going on a half marathon or a marathon or a 5K, whatever it may be. Maybe you were a track and field athlete in high school or college and all that comes with that. There's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And then when you're in the race, you're continually pressing forward. And the one thing that's on your mind besides, man, I can't wait till this is over, is I can't wait to see the prize. I'm running towards that end result. I'm running towards that prize. And what Paul is telling us today is for those of us that are in Christ, the prize is the end. The prize is Jesus for eternity and glory. And, and if you're in here today and maybe you don't have a relationship with Christ, you don't know what it means to follow Jesus my prayer for you today is that you will see what it means to follow Jesus because of what the Apostle Paul lays out for us, divinely inspired by God to write to the Philippians. So with that said, let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word. As we start in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And the word of the Lord says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 
but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the time of worship that we've had so far this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have a place that we can come into and freely lift high the name of Jesus. Father, may we never take that for granted. Father, let the equipping that takes place in here give us the wisdom, the knowledge, the discernment, and the drive and motivation in calling by you to leave from this place deployed on mission for your glory. Father, I pray that every distraction fades away in this place now as your word is proclaimed. I pray, God, that you would be with this sinner that's been saved by your grace, God, and speak through me to your people today. Father, God, I also pray for Brother David, Lord, as he's at Pittman Street right now, probably in the pulpit at this moment at Pittman Street Baptist. And I pray, God, that you would use him to speak boldly through him to your people. May you increase, may we decrease. We love you and we bless you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So today in our passage, we're going to see how Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi to strain towards this goal of growing in their maturity and their walk with Christ until that end result. So with that said, let's look at point number one. If you're taking notes, there's some, some blank parts on the back of your bulletin where you can take notes if you need to. But number one is strain towards the goal by pursuing Christ. Strain towards the goal by pursuing Christ. Look with me at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Now, if you're just joining us and you missed from last week, look real quick at verse 11 from what Paul says. It was right at the end of our sermon last week. He says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is starting this new thought, uh, and it's a continuation actually of his thought with verse 12. But he's saying that he hasn't already obtained that resurrection. He hasn't obtained it yet because he has not met Jesus face to face and his life is over. He is still on the race. He is still running and straining towards the goal. He's continually pursuing Christ. He has not arrived at that point yet. He has not got to the point to where he has made it. He has not arrived in the sense of, man, I've, I've made it. I'm now perfect. Paul has, Paul's not perfect yet. Because he's not with Christ. His life has not come to an end and he sees Jesus face to face. The resurrection in the end has not happened yet. So Paul's saying, that day is coming. And I have not obtained this yet. And although I have not attained it, I still press on to make it my own. Now this is the Apostle Paul. This is Paul who was at one point persecuting Christians as we've even seen him reference here earlier in this book. This is the Apostle Paul who was saved radically by Jesus. And he now is living his life for God, for his glory. Teaching all of the people that he writes to. He's written the majority of the New Testament. And this Paul is still saying, I have not arrived yet. I have not been made perfect yet. But he says that he presses on. Now when we see that word press on, that phrase... 
It's the same phrase in which in the Greek, when we read back from what we talked about last week with 3 verse 6, where he said in there um, about how he was, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He was striving there, the person that he was before he came to know God as his Savior. Before that happened, he was zealous for going after and killing Christians. He was a persecutor of the church. And that same phrase of the press on is what he uses in the Greek for that word. So with this pressing on, with this continually pursuing the killing of Christians, it's the same phrase that he uses now when he talks about who he is in Christ. He presses on in his pursuit of Jesus. He presses on to make it his own because Christ Jesus has made him his own. Christ has transformed him. And for those of us in Christ, we have been transformed by what God has done for us, have we not? We have been transformed in the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. We have been made new. Now, although we have been made new, we are still sinners, are we not? We are still growing in our sanctification. And there is a day coming where we won't have to worry about that sin anymore, right? And when that day comes, hallelujah, the sin is gone. I won't have to struggle with that sin anymore, Pastor. I won't have to deal with those things because I will be with Christ. That is the end goal. That is what we strive towards. That is what we press on towards. Thank God for that transformative work in our lives. Amen. Praise God for it. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Looking ahead, he's reiterating the fact that he has not made it his own, but he wants to make sure that he points out that we forget what lies behind and we look forward to what lies ahead. I'm asking you a rhetorical question. Do not answer out loud. Do you ever sit there sometimes, believer, and you sit there and you are reminded by the enemy of the things you did in the past? You're reminded of the person that you were back then? Forget what lies behind. You've been made new. Look forward to what lies ahead. Look forward. Now, hear me out. It's a good thing at times to stop and reflect. This is who I was. This is who I am because God has radically transformed me. He has saved my soul. He has changed my life. So in that sense, it's good to have a moment to reflect and say, man, I was on a fast track to hell. And yet God saved my life. And now I look forward and I strain towards what is to come in eternity. But don't allow the enemy to spit lies to you, to continually remind you of things of the past that you're not even involved with anymore. Well, Brian, you don't know what I did in high school. You don't know what I struggled with in college. You don't know the things that I've done. I don't. You don't know the things I've done. Here's the thing. When you came to know Christ, that memory bank that you think God might have of that old sin, been washed away by the blood of Jesus. You don't have to sit and dwell on who you were in that old self. 
Thank God for that. You don't have to sit there and say, well, Brian, I did this. Who cares? God has made you new. God has made you clean. Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. And as you strain forward and you look ahead to what God has for you, walk in obedience and remember that God has blessed you. He has saved you. And there is a world of people that surrounds us every day that have struggled with the same things that we had in the past. But they struggle with it now. And they need to hear and see proclaimed by the actions of your life the gospel on display. They need to know who Jesus is. They need to know what Jesus can do for them because of what he has done for us. We must strain forward to the goal. Verse 14 tells us, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The ultimate goal is eternity with Christ. That is the end result. That is what we are moving towards. Now we can see other places of Scripture in the New Testament uh, specifically, where especially in Paul's writing for 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul again is using this type of wording to describe the run, the race for us as followers of Christ, as we're moving towards the goal. The writer of Hebrews adds in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says there, as we are running this race, to do so with endurance. Don't be lackadaisical about it. Press on. Run with endurance this run, this race of life that God has blessed us with and called us to. And as we are running, make no mistake of what it says. Uh, Kimberly, put uh, Hebrews 12 back up there, please. Look right there where it says in verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We must keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Because he is the one that has saved us. He is the one that we keep our eyes on as we run this race. You know, we have a beautiful example in Scripture. This one's not going to be on the screen. We have a beautiful example in Scripture of how when we take our eyes off of Christ when something is going on, what can happen very quickly. You remember when Peter sees Jesus walking on the water? And he, and he says, Jesus, I'm summarizing here, Jesus, call me out. If it's you, call me out onto the water. And Jesus says, come. And the storm is going nuts around him. The waves are, are crashing against the boat. And so Peter steps out, and he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. And he's watching Jesus as he starts to literally walk on water. Beautiful miracle in that sense. Beautiful. And then what happens? Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, and what happens to Peter? He begins to sink. And we have this description for us in scripture where Jesus comes and I, I just see it in my mind. Peter is, is, is starting to go under the water and Jesus just reaches down and he grabs him and he picks him up. 
And he says, you little faith, why did you doubt? That's a great message for us in our lives as followers of Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Because when Satan and his demons come around and they do everything in their power here on this earth to distract us from what God is calling us to and we take our focus off of Jesus, you better believe there's trouble. We must keep our eyes focused and fixated on Jesus as we follow him, as we live this life for his glory. You might say, well, Brian, how, how are some ways in which that we can strain towards the goal by pursuing Jesus? Well, in just a few weeks, you're going to hear, now, now that God has confirmed and, and brought me here as your pastor, you're going to hear a, a vision series it's going to be a three-week series that, that God has just burdened my heart with some things for our church to move us forward. The mission is still going to be the same as it always has been. We exist to glorify God and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the mission. And that comes from the Great Commission that Jesus himself told us to do. But there's some things in which we can do with that. And, and yes, I, I can tell you three simple things right now, and there are many, many more things. But I believe that these are three very important things that God has given to me for our church. Number one, we pray. We pray. You say, well, Brian, that's simple. Yeah, it may be simple, but I've been very convicted by God that we're not doing it enough. We must be a praying people. Well, Brian, you, you do the pastoral prayer at the beginning of the service, and we have Wednesday nights devoted to prayer. Yes, we do, and we will continue to. Brian, we're, we're, we pray Luke 10.2 every day at 10.02. Yes, we do. And I pray that if you're not, please do that. Pray, join us in doing that. But I've been very convicted of this. And, and this past Thursday, Walter and I had a, a great opportunity to go up to Columbia, to Shannon Baptist, uh, for the impact conference that the South Carolina Baptist Convention put on. And I believe full heartedly, 100%, that God divinely helped me see the link for that thing on my phone at the moment that I did to sign up and to jog my memory to go, to sign up. Because church, literally every single thing that I sat in and where I heard the word of God proclaimed, God was speaking to my heart for this church. And right at the end of the day, I'm listening to Vance Pittman preach. And he talks about how the church in general has lost the focus of the ministry of prayer. And it was like a ton of bricks just falling on me. And God convicted my heart. There's been times where we have just regulated prayer to being to help us with transitions. And we have to have those. Those are, those are helpful. But in our time of prayer of Luke 10.2 every day, that's individual. On our time of Wednesday night, we do have our prayer on Wednesday night. And I pray if you, if you have the opportunity, come and join us. Because I, I believe full-heartedly that God is doing things in that prayer time. But on our biggest time where the majority of our people come together on Sunday morning, we do about this much prayer. That changes today. You'll see what I mean in just a few moments, but 
even before we get to the point to where we have the invitation song, before the band even comes forward, we're going to stop and we're going to spend a few moments and it may feel uncomfortable and it may be very quiet, but as a church, we're going to come before our holy, righteous, sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords and we're going to lift our cries up to him. And this will be a new thing that continually happens in our congregation. We must be a praying people. So we pray, we equip, we equip. What do you mean, Brian? God has given us Sunday mornings to equip the saints. I pray that as you leave here on Sundays, after hearing the word of God proclaimed, as you hear the word of God proclaimed in song, that you are just so moved by whatever God is saying to you that you got to go home and you got to read more. That you got to go home and say, all right, God, this is what you said today. What do you want me to do with it? Because I can promise you this. I stand in this pulpit. Michael will stand in this pulpit. Walter will stand in this pulpit. Your Sunday school teachers will sit before you. And I promise you, they agonize. This team that sings and proclaims the word of God to you in song, this choir, these instrumentalists. We pray to God and we ask him to use what we do here to equip you, the saints, to equip us for the ministry that God has called us to. So we use Sunday mornings. We utilize that time, our Sunday school time. We utilize what we have on Sunday nights for the teaching of the saints. We utilize what will come, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment, but what's going to come through discipleship with one another. That is how we are equipped for the ministry that God's called us to, for the mission. And I'll just say this, and I'm not being a jerk, I promise. But if you leave here and you don't feel like you're equipped, I need you to seriously examine your heart and pray, God, whatever it is that is blocking me from hearing from you, Make it clear to me so that I can get on my face and repent to you. If you're at that place right now where you're like, man, I, I, I'm not hearing anything from God. It's not because God hasn't stopped speaking. It's because sometimes we've stopped listening. So we'll be pray, we will equip, and we will deploy. We will deploy as we are praying people that are continually praying before the Father, praying for the needs of our church, praying for each other, praying for the needs of this community, as we are being equipped with the gospel, we will deploy on mission for his glory. We will. Because as we deploy, we are straining towards the goal. As we are deployed on mission for God, we are running that race. And we will deploy into Hersey Elementary. We will deploy into Mixon. We will deploy into the rest of the park circle. I think I mentioned this to you last week or the week prior, but we got some numbers from the association. It was a really quick number thing that they did for me and they emailed it to me. And, and Walter did, did some numbers really fast and he gave it to me. Within a square mile of this church, there are some 64% of people that do not, 
uh, uh, claim any kind of religious affiliation. So if they do not claim any type of religious affiliation, they do not claim Jesus Christ, which means that they are lost. Which means that when we as a church are coming before the Lord every day at 10.02, and we're praying the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out labors to his harvest, you better believe that the harvest is plentiful. We have got to, we've got to take accountability for the circle of this area that God has called us to. We've got to, and we will. Second thing, we strain towards the goal by following the examples in our lives or in your life. Strain towards the goal by following the examples in your life. Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Now, there's a lot of scholarly debate about what Paul is saying here, but basically it gets down to this. He's using irony here to describe this this notion of, hey, if you think you're perfect, guess what? You're not. You have not arrived at that point yet. You're just like me, Paul's saying. You haven't made it yet because the time has not come for you yet. Christ Jesus has not returned. Therefore, we are not perfect. Therefore, we continue to strain towards the goal. Verses 16 and 17 says, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in intimidating, or excuse me, imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, for those of you that have been following along, or if you haven't been here and you've, and you've read through Philippians before, you may remember the fact that a couple weeks ago we talked about the travelogue and how uh, the Apostle Paul describes Timothy and how Timothy will hopefully be able to come to them soon. But he's going to send Epaphroditus now. And we talked about how those examples are wonderful examples that we should follow. But ultimately, we follow the example of Christ Jesus. Amen? And those men did that. Those are great examples for us to to see how they've lived their lives and the descriptions of what Paul has given and for us to live our lives in that way. The Apostle Paul is a wonderful example of how we should live our lives. But in everything, these men are only following Jesus, the greatest example. And they're imitating him. Matter of fact, it was Timothy and Epaphroditus in chapter 2. It was Paul himself describing the ways in which he does this in chapter 1 and even in chapter 3 that we talked about last week. And then Christ Jesus ultimately being that example from chapter 2. Now you've heard me mention it earlier in this series. I made light of it just a moment ago. But one of the things that we're going to utilize to be equipped as a body of believers is discipleship. We have our Sunday School Life Connect group time, which is wonderful, and it's a wonderful time of discipleship. But as you've heard me say, almost to the point where I'm pleading with you, and I am praying this for our people, that the older, more mature in Christ would come alongside those that are younger in the faith and would disciple them. To teach them the things that God has taught you in your walk with Him so far. We, we have to have that in our church. And you'll hear more about that coming forward, but it, it has to be something that we do because we have to make disciples amongst ourselves so that we in turn can make more disciples. We have to. 
We go out and we proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to every man, woman, and child so they have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they do and they come to faith in Jesus, they are spiritual infants. And they need someone to come alongside of them and teach them the word of God. Teach them what it means to live a life completely surrendered to God the Father. That is our call as the church. And we will do that. Verse 18 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You've heard me say it through our first John study. You've heard me say it in this series. There are those out there that are teaching a false gospel. There are those out there that we as the church need to be listening out for and keep our eyes open to. Because here's the thing. They will come alongside of you, in a sense, and they'll scratch that ear. And it'll be like, man, that, that sounds right. That sounds good. But there's no biblical foundation behind what they're preaching. We must, we must be in the Word of God and know the Word of God to know that when that, that itch starts to come and they're tickling that ear and like, oh, that sounds good. No, we can say, no, 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 no. That's not what my Bible says. That's not what my Savior did. That's not what my Savior died for. We have to make light of that. We have to keep an eye on that is what I meant to say. We must stay focused on that. Paul says that it is with tears that they are doing this. It breaks Paul's heart. It should break our hearts. When we hear those things, we should not run to it. You better believe we should get on our knees and pray for that person. And pray for that false teaching that is taking place. Because it's not biblically based. It's not what God has called the teacher and preacher of the word of God to do. Paul says there that the end for them is destruction. He says that their God is their belly. They, they worship themselves. Romans 16, 18 says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. It's sad that it's come down to that. But if you think for one minute that it's not happening today, then you're wrong. It's happening. And unfortunately, it's happening in churches across our country. My prayer is that you understand, and I say this humbly, that I agonize over what I bring to you. And I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, show me exactly what you want me to say. Keep me biblically rooted and focused and preach Christ. And my prayer is that you know that you're hearing that. That God is making that clear to you. Like I've told you before, if there's anything that I even say, you're like, wait a second, I want to talk to you about that. Please come and talk to me about it. I, I told you I have men and ladies that listen to my, the words that I say, the word of God that is proclaimed, and they tell me like, hey, work on this or do that. It's just things to, to make sure that I'm staying rooted in the word of God. But unfortunately, there are not those kind of things that are happening all over. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. 
the things that, that God wants nothing to do with, that cannot exist with sin, they glory in those things. They're focused on earthly things. They're concerned more with the things of this world than the things of Christ. And we must keep our eyes peeled to those things. Lastly, number three, strain towards the goal focused on your true citizenship. Strain towards the goal focused on your true citizenship. Verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lonely body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. Thank God for that verse. Such a wonderful reminder for us. If you remember through this, this study, we've been, we've been talking about how Philippians 1.27 is the thesis of this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And if you remember in there, when, when Paul writes this in 127, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, in the original Greek, there's a, there's a beginning phrase that's not included right there in our translation. That beginning phrase is only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven. Yes, you may be a citizen of Hanahan or North Charleston or Goose Creek or, or another part of town, Charleston, whatever it may be. And yes, we may be citizens of this great country, the United States of America. And thank God we live here in the freedoms that we have. But ultimately, if you are in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. That is our end home. That is where we go. That is when somebody dies that was a saint that knew and loved and followed Jesus. People say that they went home because they went to the place where their true citizenship is. They went to be with Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we await the return of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is coming back. This Jesus is the one that we preach and we proclaim. This Jesus is the one that we celebrate at Christmas that was born in the incarnation. The fully God, fully man of the Virgin Mary who lived a perfect sinless life proclaiming the good news of Jesus himself being the Messiah. The one that came to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. The one who would ultimately go to be the suffering servant who would be betrayed by his follower, who would be whipped and beaten within an inch of his life, who would be mocked, who would be taken a crown of thorns and slammed onto his head, where his hands and his feet would be nailed to the cross, gasping for breath, where God's wrath would be poured out on him. And that wrath of God was reserved for Brian Eyre. That wrath of God was reserved for you. But again, as Ephesians 2 tells us, although it was reserved for us, while we were still sinners, that's, excuse me, it was, it's uh, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Ephesians 2 is, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had for us, even when we were dead in our sin, he died for us. By grace, you've been saved. 
Jesus would die on that cross and he would be buried into a borrowed tomb until he would be resurrected on the third day. Where he is ascended to the right hand of God where he waits until the day God the Father says, go back and get him. And that day is coming, church. Verse 21 tells us who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's a day coming where Jesus will return and he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Scripture tells us that when we die, if you're in Christ, you are absent from the body, but you are present with the Lord. And we know that our bodies get buried. There's a day coming where our bodies will resurrect. If you are in Christ, your body will resurrect. And you will meet Christ in the sky. And we will be transformed. Our lowly body will be transformed to be like his glorious body. And that is only done by the power that enabled him even to subject all things to himself. It's that same power that dwells inside of us. It's the same power of God that resurrected Jesus from the grave. Lastly, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul gives this affectionate term to them. They're his brothers. They're the ones that he longs for. Paul's joy and his crown, his beloved. He's calling them to strain towards this goal, to run this race. Because it's ultimately what God has called us to do. He's called us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him because it's our spiritual worship. He's called us to walk in obedience to him. So church, before we sing, this is what I was talking about a little bit earlier. You've heard what's been said. I pray you didn't hear Brian. I pray you heard God Almighty speak. I pray that whatever the Spirit is leading you to right now, that you would respond to that. And I'm not asking you to just stand up and come down an aisle just for, to, to join our church, which if you want to do that, great, we can talk about that. If you, if you want to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, by all means, come and tell me so that we can pray and I can tell you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But what we're going to do for the next few moments is we're going to stop. We're not going to think about lunch. We're not going to think about our afternoon plans. We're going to stop and we're going to say, God Almighty, what is it that you are telling me right now? God Almighty, this is the burden that is on my heart for our church, and I want to lift it up to you. Father God, this is the burden for my community that is on my heart that I want to bring to you right now. So we're going to take this time, and we're going to stop, and we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask Michael if he'll come up here as well, but if anybody specifically needs prayer, like you're just like, man, I've got to talk to somebody right now. I need prayer. 
then by all means, come up here and talk with us and pray. But we're going to do this even before the band comes up because every week after week, we have the band members come forward. And God has really convicted me of the fact that and the band members might need prayer. The band members may need something as well. So we're going to take this time right now. It's going to be quiet. It might feel a little awkward. But it's going to be a quiet, awkward reverence of the saints crying out to their creator. Bringing these needs before the Father. And in a few moments, I will say a prayer for us. The band will come forward. And we'll sing a closing song. And I'm really excited for this one because it's greater you, Lord. What a song to proclaim to our great God. So let's take a few moments to pray. Like I said, Michael and I are here if anyone needs prayer. Let's go into a time of prayer.